1: It's Talking Golf with Anne Lagory on The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York.
0: Well, wow, good morning. Welcome to Talking Golf with Anne Lagory on this Sunday morning, August 21st. How are we doing this morning? Happy birthday to my brother Dan. Hope you're having a great morning, enjoying August. Boy, that was a shocker. Bob Salter saying this was his last show this morning. Wishing Bob the best. Just a class act, a true professional. Talking Golf with Ann LaGlore is brought to you by IB Cole Luxury Athleisure Apparel for men and women featuring the exclusive Iceville Cooling technology along with SPF 50 plus sun protection. Visit ibkol.com to learn more. Are you on your way to, to your tea time? What's going on? So good to talk to you as I do on Sundays uh, through Labor Day weekend, actually. And uh, hopefully we'll revisit the show august through september next year as well hey there's so much going on the fedex cup playoffs with the final round today of the bmw championship at william wilmington country club in wilmington delaware easy for you to say the usam going on the 36 hole championship final at ridgewood country club in paramus new jersey and let's start with that, since it's taken place in the New York metro area, right in Paramus, New Jersey, at Ridgewood Country Club. And it will be Ben Carr, the 22-year-old Georgia Southern senior, playing Sam Bennett, the 22-year-old Texas A&M senior, in uh, the 36-hole championship match, which actually starts at 8 o'clock this morning, and the Golf Channel will cover it in the afternoon starting at 2 and Ben Carr beat Derek Hitchner three and two yesterday in one of the semifinals. It was an up and down match. Hitchner is a fifth year senior at Pepperdine, originally from Summit, New Jersey. Uh, ben Carr trailed by one on the sixth hole. Then he won holes eight, 11, 13, and 14 to take control. He drained a 50 footer for Birdie on the 14th to go up uh, three up with four holes to play. And uh, just a great match. His mother, his brother, they were there watching him. He had a group of teammates from Georgia Southern there. And uh, just a heartwarming ending there at the interview afterwards. uh, His father passed away a couple years ago unexpectedly. And he carries a, a special ball marker that he had made in his dad's honor. And he said after the win yesterday that he couldn't find the ball marker anywhere in any of his pockets and then when he made the putt on 16, he reached into his left pocket and miraculously, it was there. He was just very emotional after the win and he told that story and um, it was pretty powerful. Uh, Sam Bennett beat uh, Dylan Manante one up. Bennett never trailed in the match, although he lost a two-up lead there for a while. But with the match tied on the par 5-17, Bennett hit his worst tee shot of the match, uh, then he hit it into a fairway bunker. But then he launched a seven-iron approach shot, landed 12 feet from the pin. He drained the birdie putt to go one up, and then he parred the 18th for the win. So uh, Bennett, wow, he's been playing with lots of uh, fire and passion. And and Bennett, like Ben Carr, also lost his father. And so, I mean, the stories of these young Men are just incredible. And, uh, you know, it's so refreshing to watch the U.S. Amateur. There's purity to it and sheer passion and emotion in it. You know, from the players just playing their guts out to the spectators, many of the friends and family there to support, you know, the players. I mean, in light of everything going on in pro golf these days, it really makes watching the U.S. Amateur even more refreshing. And then you have Willie Wilcox. Who uh, competed in 75 events on the PJ Tour and he's won on the Corn Ferry Tour and PJ Tour Canada, and he, Willie's been very public about his battle with addiction. He's catting for Ben Carr, so uh, we wish Willie all the best in his battle. You know, it takes a lot of courage to speak publicly about it, and so um, that's another story. I mean, there's been so many great stories. Another story this week. Alex Price of Hillsborough, Virginia, ranked 1,212 in the World Amateur Golf Rankings. <clears throat> oh, he got to the quarterfinal round. Pretty good for Alex Price before Ben Carr stopped his C- Cinderella runs. So that was another good story. And then they had a luncheon this past Friday for competitors from the 1974 USM at Ridgewood, um, Dave Repetto, who is a member of Ridgewood, apparently he reached out to every living competitor and from that 74 USM, and 16 players came back to attend the luncheon, including Jerry Pate, who won it back in 1974. So I'm happy to say that Jerry Pate will join us this morning at around 740. Um, just a really interesting guy. Of course, he went on to win the 1976 U.S. Open and the 1982 Players' Championship. He's 68 years old now. He's still going strong. He's a golf course designer. He's a businessman. He's sitting on dozens of boards. But he had a chance to go back to Ridgewood. I think it was the first time he went back since he won in 74, that U.S. Amateur. So we'll visit with him later this morning and uh, talk about the U.S. Amateur all these years later. And then we'll get his thoughts on the big divide between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. You know, speaking of Live Golf, there has been a lot of back and forth bantering between Live Golf players and PGA Tour players. And yes, it's been a little entertaining, but <clears throat> it's also sad. I mean, you know, Brooks Kepka came out and said, in quotes, I read this on Twitter. He said, "I honestly feel bad for the PGA players." He said, "This week's purse is only fifteen million. My wife's purse is almost worth uh, worth more than that. Got it from Gucci." <laughs> End of quote. That, I mean, Brooks Koepka saying that. That. Don't you think that's a lame comment? Uh, you know, all it is really showing is that money is everything to him. I mean, does money buy happiness? Does money buy character? Does money buy legacy? Um, you know, yeah, the PJ Tour, they make, these guys make a ton of money. How much money is enough? I mean, I've always defended Brooks when people were saying that he has a huge chip on his shoulder, but to say that comment, uh, I don't know, doesn't make him look too good. Oh, and then you have Patrick Reed saying that Rory McIlroy will never win a Masters to complete a career Grand Slam And then Rory later saying, the only chance Reed has of getting a Grand Slam is at Denny's. (laughs) I mean, mean, that's funny. But, you know, it's very sad that golf has come to this. It's being kind of fractioned into these two sides with such animosity and bad will against each other. Well, last Tuesday, Tiger Woods, he led a players-only meeting in Wilmington, Delaware, to discuss the future of the tour. And according to a report by Alan Shipnock in Fire Pit Collective and Golf Digest. And we had Alan on the show a few months ago. He wrote the biography on Phil Mickelson. Shipnuck reported uh, that, in quotes, according to a source with direct knowledge of the meeting, Tiger and the 15 top players he assembled discussed the formation of a tour within a tour. 18 no-cut tournaments featuring the top 60 players competing for $20 million. He also reported um, that at Adair Manor in Ireland during the J.P. McManus Pro-Am last month, under the guidance of J.P. McManus, who's a billionaire, they discussed the tour actually renouncing its non-profit status. Now, that would force the tour to pay taxes and allow investors to come in. It's actually not a bad idea. And people like J.P. McManus and other, you know, billionaires, they could pump money into the tour if they'd like. You know, there's certainly enough billionaires out there who love golf, who probably wouldn't mind investing in the tour. So that's actually a really good idea, I think, to uh, go from the non-profit status and let these wealthy, wealthy people come in and equity firms, et cetera, come in and and uh, pour money into the tour. Uh, eight uh, Shipnuck also reported that Live Golf will announce seven new recruits after the FedEx Cup playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, I would think after that meeting with Tiger, if you were on the edge and trying to decide, do I go to Live Golf? Do I not? That uh, perhaps what Tiger was talking about—that the PJ Tour could turn into might just dissuade you from jumping ship. So uh, stay tuned. I mean, it's really only in the beginning. All right, moving to the PJ Tour, the FedEx Cup playoff in the third-round play at the BMW Championship in Wilmington, Delaware. Patrick Cantley, he shot a stellar 65 yesterday at 12 under. Cantley is one shot ahead of Xander Schauffele and Scott Stallings. Now, Cantley is trying to become the first player to successfully defend a FedEx Cup playoffs. He and his buddy, Schaffle will be paired together this afternoon. You remember they both won the Zurich Classic as teammates. Will Zalatoris tweaked his back uh, yesterday during a shot on the fourth hole, and so he decided to withdraw from the BMW. He was one under through four holes, four under overall, but he uh, decided to withdraw. He was in too much pain, so he will work with his trainer next few days to get the inflammation to come down and um he'll be ready hopefully for the tour championship in Atlanta next week and I had a chance to talk with um Damon Goddard who is Will's sport and nutrition guru and you'll hear that conversation in a few minutes I actually taped that conversation before Will tweaked his back um and Damon Goddard, he works with Will, he works with Jordan Spieth, he works with PJ Tour rookie Davis Riley, he works with some NBA players, he works with a lot of athletes. And I, I hope you enjoy hearing how Damon Goddard actually, you know, works with what he does, you know, how he helps these guys and women in every aspect of fitness. It's not just conditioning, it's also nutrition, it's pre- trying to trying to prevent injury so, um, hopefully, this uh, was just a temporary thing for Will Zalatoris, and he'll be able to get back and play. Of course, he won his very first PJ Tour title last Sunday in the St. Jude Championship in that three hole playoff against Sepp Str- Straka. So, I have, uh, speaking of the FedEx Cup playoff, I've really never been a huge fan of the FedEx Cup playoff format. I mean, I like the fact that there is a season ending playoff in golf. But what I don't particularly like is that in the Tour Championship, um, each player, you know, starts at a certain position against par. So the top seed goes out there at 10 under par before they even start. And so that's a huge edge. So, you know, like last year, Patrick Cantley started at 10 under and three players played better than him. Uh, Yet, because of his head start, he won it all and he took home you know, the huge payday. So, and I also think the point system is very complicated. And, you know, the more events you play, the better chance you have in terms of getting more points, obviously. But like winning a major is only worth 600 points compared to winning a PJ Tour event, which is worth 500. Uh, I figured a, a major should be worth more, but it's just very, very complicated. I know John Rahm and some of the players have been critical of the format. John Rahm said in Golf Week USA Today recently that he doesn't think it's the best system. He says you don't get to the Super Bowl, and the team with the better record starts with two touchdowns. You know, they start with a two-touchdown advantage. That just doesn't happen. He thinks it's ludicrous. So I agree. There has to be a better way to make the tour championship more, the playoffs more exciting. Um, Anyway, the top 30 players after the final round this afternoon – we will move on to the tour championship. All right, we are going to take a quick break. Coming up, sports conditioning and nutrition coach Darren Goddard, he will join me at about 7.20. And then Jerry Pate, who won the US Amateur at Ridgewood back in 1974 and was there to visit recently, he will join us at about 7.40. But first, let me tell you that Ivy Cool Electra athleisure wear for both men and women, offers the highest performance-driven apparel to look and feel your best on and off the course. Ibuco offers multifunctional, intelligent, the exclusive moisture sensor fabric featuring the Isofail technology that cools your body so you can stay comfortable and odor-free on hot and humid days. Ibuco apparel also features UPS 50-plus sun protection, You put in the hours. The energy. The tough
1: labor. You are a fighter and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Pric responsibly, beer imported by Crown Imports Chicago, Illinois.
0: Its soft fabric with the latest technology to protect your skin. Look and feel your best. Learn more at ibkul.com. It's Talk and Golf with Ann Lagorie on the fan. Welcome back to Talking Golf with Ann Lagory. And all you golf fans know that Will Zelatoris won his very first PGA Tour title last week in a three-hole playoff. And joining me now is Damon Goddard, Will's sports performance and nutrition coach. And Damon is a leading expert in golf performance conditioning and post-rehab and nutrition. And it's a pleasure to talk with you, Damon. Welcome to Talking Golf.
1: No, I'm honored to be on here. And thank you for the invite.
0: You and I met at the U.S. Open at the Country Club of Brookline. And you were working at the time with uh, Jordan Spieth and Will and Davis Riley. And I know you have clients in other sports as well. But let's focus on your work with these golfers. If you could explain to my audience what exactly you do with these golfers and and how helpful you can be to them.
1: No, I'll try to simplify it. My role in this entire golf performance spectrum, um, listen, these guys have so many members to their team now uh, and we all work in tandem. And so what I do from the the golf side is I really want to make sure that the machine is operating optimally. And so we do that through strength and conditioning. We do that through recovery protocols. We do that through nutrition and monitoring a lot of uh, the external variables that come into play for Um, things that may inhibit their performance. And so my role is to continually uh, be on task with the athlete in order to make them optimally perform every single week.
0: All right. Well, these guys perform every single week. It's a grueling schedule. And, you know, just uh, in terms of Will Zelatoris, I mean, he's had three runner-up finishes in the majors. Um, In the 2021 Masters, he finished second to Hideki Matsuyama, uh, this year in January, he lost to Luke Liss in the playoffs. And the you know in the Farmers Insurance Open, he was um, so close. Uh, lost to JT in a three-hole playoff at the PJ Championship. Tied for second at the U.S. Open, and he finally emerged as the victor at uh, the uh, tournament, the St. Jude's Classic in Memphis. So talk. First of all, you must feel so joyful for him because you've you've been part of his team for a while now, right? <laughs>
1: No, I mean, listen. Uh, you know, obviously, I love to see the success of the athletes, and then you know, that's always a byproduct of the work that's always put in. It's kind of like what I always say to these guys: is, is, uh, you know, winning is just a little byproduct of the preparation that nobody sees, right? And uh, to see Will in such a short amount of time have so much success uh, within, you know, a very s- short career on the PJ so far. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that it's just been, you know, about a year, a little over uh, a year, uh, almost two years, while he's been playing. And so this is actually a pretty quick little, little win. And the success he's had on it so far has is, is been outstanding. And it's always fun to see. Uh, listen, I, I, I'll take second places too. Uh, it's better than missing the cut. Um, but to see him finally hoist a trophy, uh, it, it was a very proud moment. Uh, something that I know he's been diligently working on and something that we've been you know, putting together as an entire team uh, and to see it come to fruition is just unbelievable
0: so what exactly have you been working on with will give us some insight if you would with you know what these players go through on a day-to-day yeah. basis to to be the best they can be
1: oh my gosh i mean so much goes into it and, and a lot of people don't realize the um you know, all the variables that come into play with these guys, it's, you know, the travel, the new hotels, the uh, nutrition, the hydration, the conditioning, the recovery stuff, a lot of it comes into play in order just to be able to hit a a simple white ball into a hole um, as few times as the competition. Um, So, you know, with like, with what we're doing with Will, we've had a concerted effort over this past year, uh, it's a year and a half of, we knew, um, you know, listen, he's got a you know, very skinny frame when he came in. And we are taking a look at, okay, I not only want success you know, soon, but I have to take a look at it. And the team has to take a look at the 15 to 20-year career that we're going to have with this guy. And so how do we prepare that athlete to, to, to you know, reduce the risk of injury, number one, but to be able to withstand the rigors of just being a professional athlete? And so with him in particular, one of the biggest uh, things we want to do is we actually wanted to gain some weight on him, right? And so that's, you know, been a big discussion of, you know, gaining 15 to 20 pounds with Will. But you got to realize that that's been over a good year and a half time frame, right? And so um, it just didn't happen overnight. Uh, by doing that via nutrition, via conditioning, um, being very concerted in our efforts throughout the year to, you know, be able to push to the to the edge of the cliff, but not push over the edge to where he still can be able to perform day in and day out. Um, and what we see on Thursday and Sunday, what we not realize is there's a lot of demand on these guys on you know Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays as well. So I mean, they're 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 grinding week in week out. And they're going to have obligations when they come back home as well. And so um, take all that in consideration and we go, okay, how can I keep this machine operating throughout a very long year uh, is going to be very paramount for us. So with Will in particular, he's done a phenomenal job of sticking to the program in terms of his conditioning program, sticking to all the recovery protocols, sticking to his nutrition as well. Uh, he's a very disciplined athlete, which you know, once again, the byproduct of that is being able to get the second places and get the, get the first places. And, uh, and so that, that you know, you take an athlete like Will who's very disciplined like that. Um, it, it's, it's nice to, to deal with an athlete like that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I didn't realize he was six foot two and he's what, 175 pounds now.
1: Yeah. We'll undulate right now between 178, 175. Yeah, absolutely. And the key thing for us is trying to maintain that weight, especially in the you know summertime, um, especially with you know, being back-to-back with a lot of our tournaments as well. Um, it, it, it's a grind to be able to maintain that weight, especially on a framework like that. Um, a lot of guys uh, in his line of business will, will lose a lot of weight uh, during the you know, grind of the summertime. Uh, so for him to be able to stick to it throughout the summertime but throughout the kind of tail end of the season as well has been pretty awesome.
0: And so how do you increase that, that muscle weight with somebody like him?
1: You know, with him, I mean, it's, a, it's interesting because most of us have the concern of trying to lose weight, right? And uh, it's not easy to get, a, to get a guy like that to gain weight. Um, but some of the things that we're going to take a look at, you know, whether we're increasing his protein intake, we're increasing some of his um, supplementation. But quite honestly, and, and I don't want to simplify it. Uh, because to be able to elicit one to 2% of performance out of an elite athlete, like that's not, not an easy task. Um, but you know, for our listeners and for, for you and I, uh, you know, and with, with a guy like, Will, we, we really kind of pick on the low hanging fruit and we go, okay, what, what are our sleep patterns looking like? What are our, um, you know, nutritional patterns? What are our hydrations? What are our stress management, um, protocols, you know, how are those looking? Um, throughout the day? And how are we managing that? Right. And so literally anybody that wants to lose weight or even gain weight, if I've got poor quality of sleep, um, you know, my body's just going to be uh, wreaking havoc and not you know, operating on a full tilt. So a simple thing like you know, sleep and optimizing stress management and being concerted with my nutrition and hydration, those are low hanging fruit that I know we can accomplish um especially for you know you and i and just every, everyday uh individuals um but for a guy like well if we can optimize the sleep patterns get better sleep quality stress management is much better we put you know things into play to help stress management um you know really optimize the nutrition then i then i know be a lot easier when we get the low hanging fruit to then get the high hanging fruit and get really dirty detailed in how we can increase weight or decrease weight, or just really simply keep it optimized at an even keel throughout the year.
0: I mean, you have to look at so many different factors and everybody's so individualistic, right? So what works for Will Zelatoris, who has a completely different body frame than say Jordan Speith, they're so different. So each person has a totally different program and you must, you have, many certifications in fitness, nutrition, I bet even psychology, because that plays into it as well as far as stress relief oh, and all yeah. of that. So, I mean, talk a little bit about your background, Damon.
1: Oh, gosh. So I've been in the sports performance world for about 23 years and, uh, you know, been able to be able to work with uh, the majority of that career with a lot of the uh, PGA players, LPGA uh, at the high level on the golf side. But I also dabble into the, you know, working with the professional basketball side, I had professional baseball. Um, and, you know, I'm a, an avid learner anyways. And so to me, quite honestly, from uh, the family background being all in academics anyways, uh, the, really the moment that you stop learning is the moment you stop teaching. And so uh, my thirst for uh, continual pursuit of that education is number one, um, I've got to do a great service to my athletes, especially if they're going to be number one, number two, number three in the world eventually. Uh, th- they're coming to me for uh, precise information. So I need to be really sniper level with the information that I'm going to be giving these guys uh, and girls. And so that's what's really the thrust to me is, is you know, stay on top of the game academically uh, in order to be able to then, um, you know, relay that onto the athlete to get them to the highest level as well. So, uh, just an avid learner, uh, constantly. And then, you know, I love sports. Um, I love being around athletes. Um, there's just something to it. Um, but it's not a simple thing of just, you know, you know hitting a white ball or shooting a, a ball through a hoop. You know, these guys have a great opportunity, um, to play a sport to then make an impact off of the course, off of the, the court, um, to really be able to impact a lot of lives. And I mean, let's not kid ourselves winning helps that and it gives them a better platform. Uh, I think that's more of the thrust behind why I do what I do is, is to be able to get them to a level that they can play to them, be able to make a bigger impact globally.
0: And you look at the physical stature of some of the top golfers in the world. And you know, here, Will is, is as you say, I think you told me you helped him maybe put on 20, 25 pounds in the last year. And, and I guess the challenge is for him to keep that weight on, right? Absolutely. And then obviously he's used to being at a certain weight. So that's a lot of weight to put on for somebody, you know, so you have to kind of, that might change his swing. It might change his tempo. I mean, you have to think of all of that as well, right?
1: For sure. And 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 even conversely, when we're losing weight, that's why, you know, we, we can't have these visions of grandeur where it's going to happen overnight. Um, the body is absolutely beautiful and it has this great ability to be very adaptive to whatever uh, I'm introducing it to. And so whether that be losing weight or gaining weight, it has to be done over incremental time. Um, and so, you know, with visions of grandeur of saying losing 20 pounds in, in three months, it's probably not realistic, you know, gaining twenty pounds in three months, definitely not realistic. And so that's where you know we we will either gain the weight, have the body adapt, gain the weight, have the body adapt, gain the weight, body adapt. Same thing, same principle with trying to lose weight. But you know, when we when we're taking a look at professional athlete, there's a lot of um, what we'll call triggers, uh, either from a mechanical standpoint, a nutrition standpoint, the toxins that were introduced, the site, cy- you know, you mentioned the psychological triggers, um, <laughs> environmental, uh, my immune system. There's a lot of triggers that will try to derail me from gaining weight or even losing weight. So we've got to understand how these, how we can mitigate some of these triggers. Uh, in order to stay at a a good level for the machine to operate effectively and so all of us really kind of need to take a look at that and go you know what is around me environmentally you know um, that may be a trigger for my body not to operate in an optimal way nutritionally what am I what do I need to kind of clean up in order to let my body operate effectively Um, or even you know, functionally my body, right? If I'm dealing with old injuries, well, maybe I need to go get those addressed so I can move efficiently. I mean, listen, movement is medicine. And so if the body can't move effectively, um, it's going to have an impact on the entire system, right? And so you got to take a look at that as an athlete You go, all of my systems, I need to play well together. How can I um, optimize every system uh, that we have?
0: obviously your goals include helping your clients perform at the highest level, but you're also reducing the risk of injury. So that's a fine line right there.
1: No, for sure. And that's why we're, we're always very precise with our testing and we're, you know, we're doing some you know mechanical testing, whether it be through movement efficiency testing. I always need to see how the athlete is moving in order to predict you know where there may be tight, weak, or asymmetrical movements that are creating potential injuries. But even nutritionally, I gotta take a look at a lot of the blood work as well and see what's going on in the blood work. And so we, we throughout the year, we're constantly looking under the under the hood to see how this thing is operating, and uh, it you know we leave things out. Of the guesswork world, I cannot guess uh, with an athlete like this, and really for any client, um, I, I don't like guesswork um, because you know what may have worked with a Jordan definitely m- not, might not work with a Will, right, or a Davis, or one of my basketball guys, because um, each one of us have a beautiful fingerprint of how we operate, um, and so all of our um, systems move differently and so we need to take those into consideration and that's why you know getting with professionals that whether that be a nutritional coach or a functional medicine doc or you know someone that uh, have a real hands-on uh, movement specialist like uh, like myself you know any kind of uh, performance coach or you know get very specific with you know uh, um, people that I need to see in order to then help me operate more effectively and I think we try to uh, fix a lot of it on ourselves when there's a there's a lot of resources out there that we can use to help us operate very effectively
0: well it's certainly working with your with your guys um interesting with your level of expertise i'd love to hear your your comments do you think tiger who suffered you know so many back injuries and knee injuries and constantly you know just one injury after another throughout his career yet he continued to play and win Is there any way do you think Tiger could have avoided these injuries that he endured?
1: Yeah. You know, that's such a, it's a good question. And it's a catch 22 question, right? Um, You know, could he probably have avoided a lot of injuries? Yeah. Um, But we also take have to take into consideration um, Tiger Woods, you know, personality, even on the, in the gym, he wanted to go, go, go in the, you know, on course he needed to just attack, attack, attack on course. And so, It's interesting, you know, you take the mindset of that and you go, well, you know, if we had such a concerted effort to avoid a lot of injuries, would Tiger have been Tiger, right? And so it's a catch-22 question because you never know um, if he actually took a year off. uh, And listen, he had great teams around him the whole time, but at the same time, there is an emotional income to um, a lot of people's operating mechanism, you know, uh, let's say, you know, for him, I mean, he loved to do a lot of Navy SEAL training. Is that good for the general public? Probably not. Is that good for a lot of professional athletes? No. Um, but there was an emotional income from that, that then drove him to be the best, uh, out on the course. Um, so, you know, to say yes or no on that, it's going to be really difficult because those pursuits served the golf you know uh, population really well because look at it, you know, look at Tiger. I mean, he's, he's won so much and he's a legend in the, in the the sport. So, um, you know, it's, I think it actually served him well now would have uh, created some longevity in his, in his career, even more so. Absolutely. But to see the guy still be able to get out on the course and, and uh, give a good college effort on, uh, you know, trying to play in a major. I mean, that's very notable. Uh, And just his presence alone in the sport right now is, is uh, much needed.
0: Absolutely. Especially, you know, coming back just a little over a year after that near fatal car accident, for sure. Well, you know, golf is a grind, no doubt about it. These guys play and women in hot and humid conditions. They walk a ton. Um, They travel so much, a lot of air travel. I'm curious as to what your players drink and eat while they're on the golf course.
1: Oh gosh. Well, I mean, listen, we try to keep it as simple as possible is, is at minimum uh these these guys girls need to drink about half of their body weight in ounces of water. That's at minimum. Um and so, you know, we uptick quite a bit of the the hydration. A lot of the guys and girls will like to use um some electrolyte replacements and and there's some really good ones. Um you know, the Live Pure's uh, out there the noons those are pretty good um and, and so they'll, they'll uptick their hydration with the electrolytes when it's a very hot day but listen i mean we're we're playing a sport that is not a crazy energy demand um where it's requiring any kind of gatorades or any kind of power aids or anything like that in most cases they have a lot of sugars anyways and so we want to try to avoid that Um, so as a big rule of thumb, you know, half of the body weight in ounces is at minimum. And then I like to uptick it, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 to maybe in 30 more ounces, depending on the weather. Um, in terms of food, we try to get fairly specific with it. Um, you know, we're trying to avoid, uh, having a big glycemic response, right? A big sugar response, uh, in the body. And so what we try to do. Is pick the bars that have low glycemic response. Meaning, I need to keep the brain at an even keel and the body at an even keel, and not have these crazy up and down roller coaster moments in my glycemic response to food. Um, so we'll have you know things like Quest bars or Macro bars. Um, we'll also have. Uh, a lot of the you know protein so you know some of the very organic um jerkies we like uh, some trail mix we try not to overconsume the trail mix uh, standpoint um but we also have different things like uh different shakes throughout the uh round of play so i'm a big fan of um, you know the protein shake cachaba um and it has a cascading effect of just amazingness uh let alone just the protein standpoint but what i'm trying to do essentially is Maintain an energy level throughout the entire round. Um, you know that that I'm not having these up and down spikes. A lot of us, you know, at the end of the round, are completely tanked because we ate a Snickers and and a hot dog at the turn, right? And so we're having this crazy glycemic response. And my brain's like, "Wait a minute! I didn't like that." And Now uh, I'm too busy trying to process the nastiness that you just put in. And so I like to keep a rule of thumb about every three holes uh, get a little bit of a nibble of something. Um, and then at every hole, uh, I'm trying to take at least five or six sips of the water, uh, while I'm walking. Um, and, and in general, you know, I like to see about three different, four different bottles being consumed throughout the entire round. Um, but hydration and nutrition, quite honestly, before the round is most important. So when I'm eating the day before, when I'm drinking the day before, when I'm drinking, eating that morning is going to be highly important. And then also using nutrition as a as a recovery tool as well. You know, post round, uh, if I know I've got a weekend tournament and you know I've got a tur- I've got to play the very next day, probably not a good idea to go consume the pizza uh, because I'm going to have a negative response to that, right? So I'm going to keep it a very balanced protein, fat, fiber um, type meal. And so you know, consuming those excess you know processed carbohydrates, things like that. The Big thing though is that I would recommend is you know, be very mindful of of trying to reduce um, the sugar intake, you know, that's going to perpetuate a lot of the cellular inflammation. And we're, we're just an over sugared uh, culture anyways. And so if we can start to avoid a lot of the sugar consumption, um, that's going to be a very clutch move in order to just be uh, an optimal human machine.
0: Absolutely. As a country, boy, we all consume way too much sugar and processed food. If we can get away from that, that would be a good start, right? Well, I could go on and on with you, Damon, but I really appreciate uh, your insight here. And um, if people want to learn more about you and, and your work with athletes, where can they visit?
1: Yeah, they can go to the website Goddard SPN, that's uh, or go to the Instagram at Goddard SPN as well. And they can follow me doing all the fun stuff on tour and with my athletes and uh, Every now and then I like to show my cute boys and my beautiful fiance on the Instagram as well so they can keep up with all of that.
0: Well, continued success with uh, Will Zelletouris and Davis Riley, and we're rooting for Jordan Spieth. He's one of our favorites and would love to see him get in the winner's circle again.
1: Absolutely. No, I appreciate the, you inviting me, and this is, this is always fun. I love talking golf and talking performance all the time anyways.
0: Damon Goddard, thanks so much. It's Talkin' Golf with Ann Liguori on the fan. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back. Talkin' Golf. How are we doing this morning? So glad you can join me. And what a pleasure to say hello to Jerry Pate, who won the USAM back in 1974. And that year it was also played at Ridgewood Country Club, where it's taking place all week and it culminates today and of course jerry also won the 1976 us open in his rookie year on tour at the age of 22 and the 1982 players championship he's a former golf commentator he is a golf course designer a businessman you're a renaissance man jerry pate welcome to talking golf
2: good morning ann i'm I'm grateful (laughs) to be on the phone with you
0: hey it's good to talk with you i know you were in our area recently and what you and others from that 74 USM uh, came back to Ridgewood and uh, you had a luncheon and how, how great was that, that you all got together? I heard that Dave Repetto, who's a member of Ridgewood reached out to every living competitor and that about 16 players came back to attend that luncheon.
2: Well, it was pretty remarkable. It took him several years. There were about uh... 220 uh, contestants back in 1974 and he found 170 plus of them and we had a luncheon of course most of them live all over the country now but we had a luncheon on on uh, friday and uh about i think 25 to, to 30 showed up and we had a wonderful uh, get together and uh I, I just can't say how enjoyable it was just to go back and see ridgewood and of course i've been back before since the uh 74 amateur. I was there working for ABC Sports when Trevino won in 1990, beating oh, wow. Jack okay. Nicklaus for the Senior U.S. Open. But it's just a beautiful place.
0: It really is a beautiful place. And that golf course, it's like U.S. Open tough, don't you think? I mean, it is very – it's playing so difficult. What were your thoughts as you were walking around the golf course?
2: Well, it's been redone uh, by Gil Hance. There's three nines. There's the east and the center and the west. And when I played, we played the east and the, and the west but now they play a composite of the 27 holes and really makes for great match play. He's redone and con- recontoured the greens and made the bunkers larger and more uh, challenging. Uh, I think for member play, it's a pretty difficult golf course, but it certainly uh, suits well for, for a major championship.
0: Well, what do you think about the talent out there?
2: Who did you watch? There's some, there, well, there's some really good players. I watched uh, Ben Carr on, uh, uh, I guess it was Friday morning in, in his match. And then you had this uh, Stuart Hagerstaff and uh, then there's a young man and I, I, I'm it's early in the morning. I can't remember his name, but he plays at Texas A&M. He's a really fine player. And I watched him play. Yeah. That's Sam
0: Bennett. He's in the and
2: final. Like, yeah. He's a, right. And Sam and, uh, and that terrible, I didn't get to see, I traveled yesterday from New York down to Tennessee to see an old friend, but, um, uh, Sam Bennett can really play, and, and uh, of course, I have a college tournament coming up in S- September in Birmingham at the, the Old Overton Club, and it, it uh, I've had it for 36 years, and it now is the SEC Match Play t- Championship, so we're going to have Sam there playing and representing Texas A&M, so we'll have all 14 of the SEC schools uh, the last week of September in Birmingham. Oh, that would be
0: cool. Well, I know today we're going to see Ben Carr. He's 22 years old from Georgia Southern playing Sam Bennett, also 22 years old, Texas A&M. And, you know, they're going to start at 8 o'clock. It's a 36-hole championship match. And I know the Golf Channel is going to pick it up up the coverage at 2 p.m. this afternoon. But um, can you make any kind of comparison uh, about the level of play today compared to when you played in that amateur, do you think?
2: Well, first of all, it's just length. Um, Many things factor into it. The kids are in better shape we were in good shape but i mean they really work out hard on their their core strength uh they swing at it much harder than we did because the ball doesn't curve like when we played with rubber and lot balls that were wound with rubber bands and wooden heads the balls would really curve if you miss hit a ball and uh today they they're driving the ball you know it easily carrying it 300 yards to 310 where we would have carried it probably 250 260 and roll out to 270 so they're They're in in a lot of cases at least 75 yards longer than we were 50 years ago. And the equipment, you have lighter shafts, you have graphite shafts, you have titanium heads. The heads are larger, the faces are larger, you get a reflex off the face. And and the fairways just alone are cut much closer so the ball rolls out. And uh, so the game has become really a power game. It always was. It's a power game off the tee and you have to sink putts. Both of these young men have really good, uh, strength off the tee and they're great putters
0: and that's it if you can make those putts and as you say god they're 75 yards longer that's a huge difference when you think about it off the tee
2: right well it is and of course they've lengthened the golf courses out uh, all of these golf courses have been lengthened uh, you know i can remember first playing st andrews in 1972 i was a freshman at alabama and we were fortunate enough to play and you jump off the first green and just to the right was the second tee and you get off the second green and just to the right then they move tees back about 15 or 20 yards now you go to st andrews where obviously the open championship was played this year and you look back and there's 80 yards back from the green behind you in the gorse bushes there's the tee so the game has just gotten to the point where the ball really goes a long ways and the clubs go and the and the players the contestants are better athletes they can really swing at it hard
0: they certainly are. I just had on a sports and nutrition conditioning coach for Will Zelletouris. And what the, what he works on with these pros is just unbelievable. Everything. And I don't know if you had that in your day, but uh, these guys, you know, they're pushed to reach their fullest potential and, you know, at the same time to, to you know, try to prevent injury. And that's a fine line. And I talked about uh, that with Damon Goddard in the in the earlier segment. But the USAM, Jerry, is just so refreshing to watch. I, there's a purity to it. There's a sheer passion and emotional um, you know, just to watch it and to, to feel the player's emotion. I mean, you know, obviously, with everything that's going on in the pro golf game these days, it it really makes watching the USAM even more refreshing, in my opinion. Do you agree? I mean, watching the, these, you know, car Yesterday, in his interview, I don't know you missed it probably because you were traveling. But you know, his father passed away a couple years back, and he he said he carried a special ball marker in his pocket in his dad's honor, and he couldn't find the ball marker, and he checked everywhere in his in his pockets and in his golf bag, and and uh, in the middle of the round he just couldn't find it, and then he made a putt. I think it was on 16, and he reached into his left pocket, and there, miraculously. It was there, you know, the special ball marker for his, you know, that he, that he had made in honor of his dad. So he was just so emotional after the win, and and it's just powerful stuff, I think. And it's a, it's really refreshing to watch these, these amateurs. Well, you play, know, it's also
2: connected. It, it's so connected. I, 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 I got up on Friday morning, came down in the lobby, of the hotel. There was uh, Ben Carr, his and his mother, and I introduced myself to him because I knew he he had his bag and. We go out and have breakfast. He plays at 10 o'clock on Friday. We have breakfast together. His mother worked for Synovus Bank in Columbus, Georgia, which I had been on the Trust Company board of Florida. And he worked for a guy named Richard Anthony, who I have a picture of my house in Pensacola, sitting on a shooting stick, little seat. My dad's putting out in the 1964 State Amateur, and Richard Anthony standing in the picture. So, And the first time, I think, I played Shoal Creek was with Richard Anthony. He was uh, on the board, so of course ben's mom and i both you know text richard and he's been keeping up with his progress so golf is incredibly connected and and the great thing about the game is when you pick up the rule book you don't read about this is what you do when you tee up or drop from a lateral hazard or, or a water hazard now uh or penalty zone i think they changed the name uh, i'm too old to worry about all that but uh it talks about the etiquette of the game and the goodwill and the etiquette and the things, the life lessons you learn through golf can be carried in any business. And I played with many, many, many famous presidents, celebrities, uh, lots of athletes. And they've all all the athletes said, God, I wish I'd have been a golfer instead of a baseball player, football player. Uh, I wish I'd have been a, a you know a tennis player. I love playing golf. And when they retire from their sports, most all of them love to play golf because it's such a competitive game. And it's it's pure form of of capitalism from the professional levels because there's nobody can help you you still have to hit the shot or sink the putt
0: that's right that's right they all play golf even while they're playing their their sport right but you know you've been around golf for a long time jerry pate and i'm curious about your thoughts on really what has become the big divide that's going on in our sport unfortunately right now what are your thoughts about the pj tour versus live
2: golf Well, it's great that that someone would come out and and say they want to put a billion dollars into the game. I think the way they went about it was was wrong. Instead of trying to compete against the PGA Tour, uh, for the players that are playing there, and and I'll pick on two of them, Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson, that played for 30 years on the Tour. Every week you play, for those 30 years, you you sign an entry form, and it's a small print entry form, and you need to read it because you're playing now for millions of dollars. It says you won't compete against the PGA tour in a conflicting event. So if you jump off one tour and you want to go play on another tour that's that's counter to the PGA tour's efforts for the last fifty, sixty years, fifty years at least, fifty-five years, then you're in violation of your agreement. So they don't allow you to to be a member or play in the event. Now you don't have to play any events on the PGA tour and you can be exempt. But you have to play 15 events to to be uh, eligible for the, the deferred comp plan. Everybody calls it a retirement plan. It's a deferred comp plan. And uh, you have to be eligible for some health benefits, and you have to be eligible to uh, vote. But as far as just winning tournaments, you, you could play five times a year, three times a year, and win five times if you're that good. So they don't make you play. I think the thing that, that, that really is disingenuous about to me about the Live Tour thinking that they're worthy of a world ranking. I played many years. I played 45 years now on the tour. We played on the PGA Tour 18 holes and 18 holes. So you play 36 holes. You have to make a cut. Then you have to play the final uh, 36 holes. So it's a 72-hole event with a cut, no guaranteed money, Uh, The Live Tour is 54 holes, shotgun start. You know, there's a big deal about when I can remember being uh, in the final groups in major championships and you wake up at 7 in the morning and you don't tee off until 2.30 in the afternoon. You've got that gut-wrenching feeling in your stomach. But when you say, okay, let's all go tee off at the same time and you go on 14 and I'm 12 and we're all going to play and we all get guaranteed money and we're only going to play three rounds, to me that's not comparative for world rankings. If right. the Live Tour would change their format, I think it would be much more compelling to say, we're going to play 36 holes, have a cut, then we're going to play just like the PGA Tour, the, the British Open, the Masters, the, the PGA Championship, uh, the U.S. Open. Those are organizations outside the PGA Tour that play the same format. So you can't play a, a half-court basketball game or a 50-yard football game and think you're going to qualify for the sec championship <laughs> or, or, or the nba championship playing half court with lebron james you got to play the whole game the way it's always played same right, minute, i, ag- same I
0: agree well tiger recently had a meeting with 15 top players uh it was this past week in wilmington and alan shipnock who we've had on the show months ago he wrote the uh, biography on phil mickelson he reported for fire pit collective and Golf Digest that, according to a source with direct knowledge of the meeting, um, they discussed the formation of a tour within a tour, 18 no-cut tournaments featuring the top 60 players competing for $20 million. They also discussed the tour renouncing its non-profit status, Jerry. And that's an interesting concept. We only have like a minute left, and I apologize that we're running out of time. But I think if the tour becomes um, a profit, Status as opposed to nonprofit, then you have these billionaires that can invest in the PGA Tour, and voila, there's more money. I mean, if it all comes down to money, which it seems like it is, obviously, then that might be an interesting solution. Quickly, your thoughts on that? We only have a minute left.
2: Well, the PGA Tour has built a lot of character over many years, uh, and 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 everyone is flawed. People make mistakes, but the character that has come out of professional golf is. Unsurpassable of any other sport. And I'll leave it there. I I believe Jay, uh, our commissioner, is doing a great job. And I'm sure he's speaking with Dean Beeman and and Tim Fincham. And the integrity of the game is more important than the money. So I I laud and and congratulate Tiger and Jack when you hear these $100 million, $200 million, $600 million numbers thrown it down because. Nobody cares how much money and how many trophies you have when when you're dead. They only care about being a giver and a producer, not a consumer and a taker. I think a lot of this has to do with consumption and taking and not giving and producing because nobody measures you by how much money you have in life. And, And these guys need to learn that.
0: Well said, Jerry Pate. I'd love to have you on again. Thank you so much for your insight. Really appreciate it. My thanks to uh, Jerry Pate, to sports and nutrition guru Damon Goddard, to Ed Arzuman, our studio guru, and, and for you for listening. Talking Golf with Anne LaGuardia is brought to you by IBKOL Luxury athleisure apparel for men and women. Visit IBKOL.com to learn more. Hey, be sure to watch the championship of the U.S. Amateur. It will not disappoint. Refreshing and pure grit. Stay tuned for Rick Wolf and the Sports Edge. And I look forward to talking with you next Sunday morning right here on Talking Golf with Anne Liguori.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.